Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online simply by going to thefathershouse.com. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week. Now, let's go to this week's message. Turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to talk today about four words to make your marriage unshakable. You may say, well, today, well, I'm not married, so I can just check out here. Maybe I'll just watch something online. Wait, listen, the four words that I'm going to talk to you today about are words that will work in any relationship, in any relationship. Uh, in fact, I'm going to pull it from a passage in the Bible that's uh, about 2,000 years old, and it's talking about husbands and wives, it's talking about parents and kids, it's talking about owners, uh, and it's talking about a lot of relationships, and these four words will work in every way. And if you're not married, but you hope to be married and plan to be married someday, it's going to help you to know four words. I'm tired of divorce. How about you? I'm tired of every time you turn around, somebody else is divorcing, somebody else has left her for him and him for her and that for this and something else. I, I think we just draw a line in the sand and say, look, at the Father's house, let's just get back to this. What God had joined together, let no man put asunder. Would you believe that? Let's just give the Lord a hand clap and say, yay, I believe that. You didn't invent marriage. I didn't invent marriage. God invented marriage. It was his idea. We live in a culture today in which people want to change what biblical marriage is. They want to make adjustments. They want to add. They want to subtract. Listen, if you want to do that, then why don't you come up with a different name than beside being married? That belongs to God. He created that. You just create your own. So I'm just going to look today uh, from a very practical way because I really want you to be at peace. I really want you to have a flourishing and a, not just a surviving marriage, but a thriving marriage. In your notes there, here's your first fill-in. Marriage is not as much about finding the right person as being the right person. Isn't that a great thought? I mean, before you were married, you never sat around and thought, how can I be the right person? How can I be it? No, we were all saying, how can I find the right person, right? But I want to help us today on beginning to adjust about how to be the right person. I asked you this week, I said, can you help me out with these four words? Four words uh, for an unshakable marriage. Here's a few of the great words that came in. Four words for an unshakable marriage. You're right, my dear. That's a good one. Yes, you look great. There's another one. How about this one? Somebody said, I don't think they were serious. Serving my life sentence. <clears throat> uh, somebody said, never forget Freaky Friday. You had to be at the marriage couple's night to really understand that one. Here's another one. Love you, thank you. Well, that's a good one. Here's four more words. Happy wife, happy life. Here's another one. God, please help me. I guess that would work. But in Ephesians 5, if you turn there, Ephesians 5, I'm going to begin looking at verse 21. There's a passage here that talks about four words that we need to model and to put into our life. So I'd like for us to model these four words, model these four words. And they're actually found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, and further, 
Here they are. Look at this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the four words that you fill in there is simply this. Submit to one another. Would you say that with me? Submit to one another. Now, as soon as I say the word submit, there's a lot of you that you, all, you get upset. You know, I don't like that word submit. That's why I quit going to church years ago. Or uh, because a lot of times it's been misunderstood. It's been misappropriated. Or it's just been directed to wives. But this doesn't say here at the very opening of this, this is just for wives. But it says, submit to one another. And so from chapter 5, verse 21, all the way to chapter 6, verse 9, is this whole plethora of, of, of things about relationships. But it starts it off in the very first of this saying, submit to one another. Let's say that again. Submit to one another. The world's way is, I want my way. I don't want anybody, this is what I need, don't you stand in my way, make sure, and if you give me a hard time, I'll get an attorney, and I'll sue you, because I want my way. That's the world's way. But God's way, he said, submit one to another, submit to each other. That's just simply saying, God, I'm going to put you first in my life, and I'm going to put others before me, before I. I'm going to care about other people. So what we're looking at here is what I call mutual submission. Mutual submission. And mutual submission makes a marriage an amazing relationship. Mutual submission. So you say, okay, submit to one another. So then how do we do that in a practical way? You give me this Bible word, submit. Uh, so how do I do that? Well, in this passage... Paul's going to talk to wives, and then he's going to talk to husbands about what it really means to submit to one another. We have, in a marriage, we have different roles and responsibilities. Would, would you give me that? We have different roles and responsibilities. We're not all the same. So let's look at this, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. Uh, so he says, so wives... This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So what does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband? Well, he says here then in verse, 30, verse 33, look at it. He says, the wife must respect her husband, respect her husband. So at the very top there where it says wives, here's what you would put in the fill-in. I will respect my husband. The way that I submit is that I respect my husband. So say it with me, wives. I will. All right. He's not saying here that women are second nature or second to men. He's just saying that as a wife, you should respect your husband because he has leadership, and uh, you need to understand that leadership. You say, well, you know, I could submit to my husband if he was worth submitting to, but he's a lazy old dog, doesn't come to church, doesn't do anything. It doesn't say submit or respect to your husband because he's worthy of that. I've done a survey, and I found that, ladies, 100% of husbands are really not worth submitting to. So, there it is. 
So if your husband's not worth respecting and submitting to, there it is, a survey. He doesn't say submit or respect because he's worthy. He says submit as unto the Lord. Is the Lord worth respecting? Is the Lord worth submitting to? So he said, then just look at that loser of a husband you have and just see me in him and believe that one day he'll get better. Amen? The word there, respect, means to honor and to build up. To honor and build up. So you say, well, how do I honor and how do I build up my husband? Well, let me just give you a, a few ways to do that there in your notes. Invite his opinion where you might have decided without him in the past. Here's another one. Affirm him. Tell him how much you appreciate his strengths. Speak well of him to others. I have a, I'm very uncomfortable when I get with a group of married people and they keep cutting each other down in public. And uh, they keep making little jokes and, and side marks about, that's not a level of respect. That's not a level of respect. Believe in him. Believe the best about him. Need him. Let him know that you need him in your life. In conflict, speak respectively to him, even when you disagree. Reflect back the words he has communicated to you to let him know that you heard him. And then meet his sexual needs, because if you don't, somebody will. So wives, how do you submit to your husband? You respect him. You honor him. You build him up. So now, let's get on to husbands. He says in verses 25 through 32, for husbands submitting, this means, see what? Verse 21, submit to one another. And he says, for wives, that means that you submit to your husband. And then verse 33, by respecting him. So verse 21, submit to one another. And then he says to husbands, this means submitting to one another means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but he, look at this, he feeds and he cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. We are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is what? Joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and his church are one. So again, I say, read it with me, each man must love his wife. Let's read it with me. Each man must love his wife. It doesn't say maybe, but what's it say? Must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must what? She must respect. So the word here is the word agape, which is that God kind of love, the selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love, that kind of love. Now, when, when Paul would have written this to the early church, and when he writes in verse 22, wives submit to your husband, the, the common response of the wives would be something like this. Duh. Tell me something I don't know. Because you see, to the Greeks, the Romans, 
And to the Jews, they had a version of this. The husband had the legal jurisdiction over his children and his wives. They literally belong to him. So when it said, wives, submit to your husbands, they would think, right, if I don't submit, he'll sell me or he could execute me because that was legal in that culture. So for wives, that meant nothing when he said submit. But for the man of that culture, when he says, men, you're to love your wives, their thought would be, you got to be out of your crazy mind. I have no obligation to that woman. She has every obligation to me. Jesus says, no. <coughs> Excuse me. Husbands, you're obligated to love your wives in a sacrificial way, in such a way. And then he says, if the theological part is too difficult for you about loving as Christ loves, then let me put it down on a physical level, verses 28 and 29. Love your wife as you love yourself physically. He said in the same way. He said, you feed yourself, you care for yourself, you take care of yourself. So he said, if you can't get the theological way right, just think about it like this. Think about your wife as yourself. You would uh, feed her, ectropo, which means to support, to help her to be mature, or you would care for her, balpo, which means warmly wear, care, or attend for her. He said, do that. Put yourself like that. And he said, the two shall become one flesh. You say, well, okay. He says, husbands, love your wives. Now, how can I do that in a practical way? Here it is. Time out. One thing. What is it in your life right now, men, husbands, that you love more than anything else? What is it uh, that you love more than anything else? I know you love God with all your heart. I know you love your kids. You love your wife. We say all those things. But in the secret place of your heart, what is that one thing that you think you could never live without or never do again? Maybe that's your golf clubs. Maybe that's your fishing boat. Maybe that's your motorcycle. Maybe that's your condo. So whatever it is in your life, you love more than anything else. If someone would say, you've got to get rid of that, you'd say, oh, no, I'll never get rid of that. And, and here's, what, here's how you love your wife. You place her in the position before the thing that you love more than anything else. Wow. So, Elias, that means more than your wind boat. You put your wife there. Mike, that means more than your motorcycle. Patty goes before you. What is it for you? Here's some practical ways. Touch her lovingly and non-sexually on a regular basis. You say, I touch her all the time. Yeah, when you're in bed and you want something. I'm talking about a different kind. This is, this is, this is agape love, okay? Touch her lovingly and non-sexually on a regular basis. When you walk by, pat her on the shoulder, give her a hug, embrace her. Talk to her daily. Listen to her heart and her feelings. Listen to her without trying to solve a problem. Ladies, that's a good place for you to say amen. I know you want to do it. You, you come to us. We're fixers, right? That's what we're supposed to do, fix things. So you come to us with a problem, and we say, well, you should do this, 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 that, that. Taken care of. Good. Do it. You say, 
I just want you to listen. I don't want you to tell me how to do it. I just want you to listen. So it's hard for me, but I'm learning. I, Tim's got the best. He asked his wife, do you want me to listen or solve this? That saves all the problem right there, Tim. That's good marriage counseling right there. L speak lovingly of her to others. Stay in touch with her throughout the day with an occasional text, email, or phone call. In conflict, affirm your love for her and reflect back the words she has communicated to you. This will help her to feel heard. Here's the next feeling. Marriage is a covenant partnership of a godly, of godly leadership and mutual submission. Marriage is a covenant partnership. It's not a contract. It's a covenant partnership of godly leadership and mutual submission. The wife is to submit and respect her husband. The husband is to submit and to love his wife. If it says, husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands, we can infer then that women run on love and men run on respect. You can have two cars and they run on two different kinds of fuel, regular gas or diesel. So it simply says here that we each run on different. Men need respect. They need respect. And women need love. George Bernard Shaw once observed that we should not do unto others as we would have them to do unto us because their tastes may be different than ours. So I read a story about a, a man that he gave his wife a 12-gauge shotgun for Christmas one year because he wanted to use it, all right? So she's a shrewd Christian lady. The next year, she bought him a string of pearls, and they were beautiful pearls. But isn't it interesting? So often in marriage and in conflict, we give what we really need ourselves instead of giving what the person needs. For instance, when it says that wives are to love their husbands, uh, I mean, uh, wives are to respect their husband and men are to love their wives, a wife out of a want to and a need for love will give, try to give her husband more love and more love. Or a husband out of understanding that his, wife, that his wife needs love, then he understands respect. And so what he'll do sometimes is just back away, not even get into a conversation, just back away because he thinks he's, what he's doing, he thinks he's loving her because to him, that's a level of respect. So, I mean, it, it's the same way like with, uh, uh, like, like Anita and I with our love language. Our love language, languages are absolutely opposite. Her love language is words. Mine is gifts. So we get to the time, the place of buying gifts, and I love to buy gifts. I just buy gifts. I look at things. I say, oh, this would be great. I want to get this for Anita. I want to get this. And she says, uh, you know, deflating my bubble, you don't have to give me a gift. Just give me words. I look at her and say, forget about that. You give me gifts. You know, I don't need words. So what I'm simply saying is, we give what we really value and what we understand in our life. Marriage is a covenant partnership. It's not a contract. It's a covenant partnership. The scripture says in Genesis 2 and 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh, completely joined as one. 
completely joined as one. A lot of times people see marriage as a contract. Well, let's go down to the justice of peace, or let's go down to the courthouse, and uh, we'll sign the marriage thing, and it's a contract. No, a contract is uh, actually based on mutual distrust. That's a fill-in there. It's a contract based on mutual distrust because you don't trust the person, so you say, I'm in this as much as you're in this. So if you're not all in this, I'm not all in this, and you break, con- you break the uh, contract, and it's no longer there. But marriage is not a contract. Marriage is based on a mutual commitment. Marriage means a binding agreement. It's literally a blood agreement. In the Old Testament, every time you would see them make covenant, there was always a shedding of blood, the shedding of an animal. And in the New Testament, the new covenant that we're part of, Jesus is the Lamb of God who shed his blood so that we might be forgiven of our sins. So there's always, in a covenant relationship, there's always a shedding of blood. So in my covenant relationship with God, He doesn't want my blood because my blood wasn't pure. But he sees me through the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, when a bride and groom were going to be married, they would come before the priest, and the priest would take a knife, and he would cut the palm of the groom. And with the same knife, he'd cut the palm of the bride. And then he would put the two hands together so there would be a mingling of the blood because in Leviticus it says that there is life, there is life, in the blood. I guess maybe that's one of the reasons now why medical specialists say that every person that you have sexual intercourse with in your life leaves part of their DNA in you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this body of ours is, is just amazing. And when, and when God talks about marriage and sexual intercourse be reserved for marriage, I mean, I, I think since he made us, He probably knows how that works the best. So then the bride and groom hands would be tied together, and then they'd be led into what was known at that time, or you can call it as a honeymoon room, where the virgin man would enter into the virgin woman, and there would be a shedding of the blood on the sheets to prove that she was a virgin. And here in that act is the holy, righteous, beautiful occasion of blood being spilt with the hands and with the, the, the virgin of this covenant, cutting covenant. Today, people just go on and they just do married things without ever having a covenant. I mean, you know, it, it sort of happens like this. Well, you know, I like you, you like me. Won't you bring your toothbrush over, live with me. We'll save money, we'll live together. And then after a while, if you don't like that person or something happens, you say, take your toothbrush, get out of my house. You can have the rocker, I'll keep the sofa. I won't see any longer. So the pattern in the culture that we're living in today is people do that once, twice, four times, six times, a dozen times. And then when they get married for real and they have their first conflict, they've been practicing and pretending marriage. And so now when they have a little conflict, what did they do before? Well, just move out, get out, don't want you anymore. But you see, marriage is more than that. And see, then in a Christian setting, we add religious phrases. Oh, God brought us together. 
I just thank God he answered my prayers. I've been praying for this person. So now, yeah, I know we're living together, but you know, it's God's mercy. It's God's grace. Please hear my heart. I'm not trying to be mean, hateful, religious. But I don't care how many religious phrases you put on something that's out of God's biblical order. He will not bless it. If it's out of order, he will not bless it. I would really encourage you. You know, people say, well, you know, we just fell out of love. And so we're going to get divorced. Say, isn't that the craziest thing you ever heard of? How many of you have ever ran out of gas in your car? Did you sell your car because you ran out of gas? What'd you do? You put more gas in it. You filled it up. So if you run out of love, just fill the sucker up. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. So I'd encourage you to get into one of our life groups and kill the spider life groups that's going to help with strengthening marriages. I want you to look at two words on the screen. I want you to look at this. The first word is what? And the second word is what? Now, if the I is in the right place, you have the word united. But if the I is in the wrong place, you have what? Untied. You see, the bottom line of everything I'm sharing with you today is that unshakable marriages are a submission competition. A submission competition. I'm going to out-submit you. What would it be like tomorrow? What would it be like tomorrow if you get up and you look at your spouse and you say, I'm going to out-submit you today. Wouldn't that be great? Try it. Bring it on, big boy, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Instead of, you know, if you really love me, you'd meet my needs. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to outsubmit you today. Let's have a competition. Let's see who can do it the most. Let's see who can do that. So I pray for you. I know some of you that are here today, your marriage is strong. And man, I thank God for that. Some of you are here today and just need some fine-tuned adjustment, maybe to like read the book and go to a small group that has a kill the spider life group. And some of you right now, I mean, you just despise each other. Some of you already, you've been using that D word. And I'm not talking about damn. I think it's a word worse than that. So you've been talking about that because evidently we made a mistake. You made a covenant. You cut blood covenant in God's eyes. Jesus, is, Jesus says, look, this is God's will from the very beginning. Husband and wife joined together. That's it. Let me pray for us today. Father, I thank you for your word. In a confusing society where everybody has a different opinion and idea of what marriage is, what it should look like. Lord, we're just going to come back and we're going to come back to a biblical marriage. If you created marriage, if you created the thought of a man and a woman coming together and to be united, then 
we're going to agree with you. <clears throat> and we ask you, Lord, to forgive us <clears throat> for mistakes and things in our life. But we pray today here at the Father's house, you would strengthen every marriage redeemed today in your name. As you continue to pray with your head bowed and your eye closed, maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Terry? My issue is I don't have the eye in the right place between me and God. I've been living my own life and I'm not even submitted to him. And there's just a desire in my heart right now that's saying, I need, I need to be submitted to him. I need to surrender my life to him. Maybe it's for the first time or maybe you need to rededicate your life to him today. He made a covenant of blood. He shed his blood for my sins so that I could come before God forgiven. And it's not in my doing better works, it's my trusting in him. The scripture said, if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, I could be saved. So I want to pray for you today. I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to some hearts that are here today and maybe some that are watching online. Maybe you've gone to church all of your life, but you've never made that decision of surrendering your life, of submitting yourself to the Lord. As that old song says, Jesus, take the wheel. So submission is just me sliding to the back seat and saying, Jesus, I've made a mess of driving this thing called my life. I need your help. If that's you today, and you'd let me pray with you and for you, I'm not going to embarrass you or make you feel bad. But if you'll just raise your hand right where you are and make eye contact with me, thank you there in the back. Thank you. Thank you here. Others today, just raise your hand. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. Others today. That's me. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you today. Thank you. Hands going up all over today. I want to get things right. I want to be in right order because I want God's blessing. Pray this prayer with me today. Father God, I thank you for loving me, for dying for my sins, not giving up on me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to come into my life and to be my Lord and Savior. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are Lord and that God raised you from the dead. And as best as I know how, I want to serve you all the days of my life. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps will be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to thefathershouse.com next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.